Hello and welcome to the weekly sermon by White Sulphur Baptist of Georgetown, Kentucky. We hope that you find this resource encouraging and helpful. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, but we would love to see you in person on Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Thanks again for tuning in. Good morning, White Sulphur. Uh, thank you for being here today. This is a Sunday that a lot of us have uh, prayed for for several weeks leading up to. We're excited to be here to celebrate the resurrection. This is a time for joy. This is a time for praise and singing uh, for celebration. That's what it is. Uh, this is probably the closest thing we get to uh, as a, a, like a party, right, in a church like this. We're excited to be here celebrating the resurrected King Jesus the Christ. And like I said, I've been praying for this Sunday for a while now. And something that I've been thinking about, it's been heavy on my mind this week leading up to it, is that uh, we seem to, as a people, not necessarily this church, but as a, a society, as a culture, we seem to be desperately looking for something and not finding it. That we are constantly trying to fill gaps and voids in our lives. It's, it's like we know that something's missing, but we don't know what goes there. And so we try to fill it maybe with consumerism, uh, purchasing, retail therapy, as some people call it. Uh, maybe it's entertainment. Maybe um, it's an addiction. Maybe it's something a little bit, a little bit darker than that. But we're looking for something, and the, the longing for this seems to be almost tangible in our society. I know, and you know, that something is missing. And as I was thinking about it and praying about it and, and contemplating the resurrection of Jesus, it, it seems to boil down to a couple of things. That there is a real, true joy that just seems out of reach, like a carrot on the end of a stick. And all of these things of the world are promising it to us, and we keep chasing it and chasing it. And sometimes we even get that carrot that the world holds out in front of us, and then the joy is gone. Like it vaporizes in our hands. We want to do the right things, but we don't feel empowered or able to do them. Even Paul talks about this in Romans 7. I want to do the right things, but in the flesh I keep doing the wrong things. And so the world seems to be looking for this, this joy that it can't produce and that it almost can't Describe And also it seems to be looking for this, this power to live a life differently. This power to live a life that we know we ought to be living, but we just can't figure it out on our own. I know that sometimes we even try to avoid thinking about our own mortality because we're afraid of what we don't know. We're afraid of the unknown. What comes after this life? And so maybe you've come in this morning and you're looking for that joy. Maybe you're good at hiding it. You look like a happy person, but on the inside, you know that that's missing. You've come looking for joy. Maybe you've come looking for the kind of power that can help you put that lifestyle behind you, that can help you say no to sin, the kind of power that empowers you to live a life that glorifies God. Maybe you've come looking for something like that. This morning, And I would say that if that's you, that you've, you've come to the right place. 
And I know that for some people, this is the only Sunday during the whole year that they'll be inside a church. So I'm glad that you're here. And I want to take my opportunity to explain to you, if you don't know, why we celebrate the resurrection. Why this is such a big deal for Christians. Why we have gathered once again to proclaim that Jesus Christ is no longer in the grave. That he's risen as he said that he would, not in a figurative way, not as an illustration but he actually left the grave. So if that's you, those are your questions. If those are the longings that you have, I'm glad that you're here this morning. Let me pray and we will get started on this sermon. Father, first and foremost, I'm asking you for joy in the room. For those that came here with heavy burdens, broken hearts, guilt that is weighing them down that you would give them a serious kind of joy, a real joy, a joy that's unshakable, a joy that's rooted in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that those that don't know your son would respond to him in faith this morning, that those who have yet to experience the things that I'm going to try to describe that they they would this morning, that we would have even more reasons to celebrate today as brothers and sisters are added to the family and to the kingdom. And Father, I also ask that you would be glorified in our services, this and for every other service that's ever held at this church, that you would be what we're celebrating, that you would be the center, that you are what's important, that we would constantly be turning our eyes to you and looking to you and that you would be glorified and honored in our presence. And Father, I pray that my, my words are for your people's good and to your glory this morning. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so there are two main places that I plan to be this morning. The first, we're going to take a break from Mark. The first is going to be Matthew 28, if you'd like to turn there. We'll be there first, starting in verse 1. The second is 1 Corinthians 15. So Matthew 28, 1 Corinthians 15. You can uh, put a thumb in your Bible or highlight it on your tablet. Neither one matters to me as long as we're all in this together and examining the scriptures. I'm going to go ahead and read Matthew 28, 1 through 10. First, now after the Sabbath toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you see Jesus, who was crucified, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great Joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. 
And so the reason we turn here this morning is because we need, we need to know what actually happened. We need the factual account of, of how it went down. So that's why we go to Matthew. He gives us more detail than, than Mark would have, and he helps us get this fuller picture. But there's a couple of things that we should observe before we go into the rest of it. So in verse 8, it says, So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. That's, that's an incredible little phrase there, fear and great joy. And this is, this is what I've been calling serious joy, joy that can only arise from something like the resurrection. That maybe we can have these um, feelings of happiness that are fleeting. Maybe I got the dinner that I was hoping for. Maybe I got the birthday present that I had been asking for. That makes me happy. But, but serious joy comes from something serious, like the king of heaven descending, taking on human flesh, dying on a cross, and then rising from the grave to conquer death and sin. That's something that's really serious, but also a source of joy that we can draw from for the rest of eternity that cannot be exhausted. So with fear and joy, a serious joy, a stable, sturdy joy, they ran to tell his disciples. But then Jesus met them and said greetings, and they came up and they took hold of his feet and worshipped him. They're fully convinced this is Jesus. This is the Jesus that we knew. This is the Jesus that we ate with, that we walked with, that we spoke with. And then this is the Jesus that we watched die by expert executioners like the Romans. And yet here he is. And what is their response? They drop to the ground. They hold on to his feet and they worship him because they are fully convinced of not only what has happened, but who he is. That he is that Messiah that he has been saying that he was. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. The fact that he calls them his brothers is incredible. The, the ones who abandoned him are still counted as family. The ones who left him, deserted him. The ones who lost all hope and said, it's over, it's gone. Obviously, he's not who he said he was. I guess I'll go back to fishing. He says, tell my brothers that I'm going to see them and they're going to see me. And for me, this just gives a little bit of hope that, that maybe you've gone through a season of, of, of backsliding or walking away or, or just dry. Right? You, you, your relationship with the Lord has just been dry like a desert that you've been walking through. He hasn't turned his back on you. Still a brother or a sister. And he's eager to meet you once again. So when we're talking about the resurrection, what we've just read about here in Matthew 28, we want to make sure that we understand what we're talking about. And that this, again, as, I, as I've reiterated multiple times this morning, that this really Happened, And I don't know how else to say it, but I'm just hoping that the Holy Spirit works and that that sentence sinks into our hearts and our minds. That it should blow our minds that Jesus rose from the dead. That that should settle over us in a way that just causes us to be awestruck. In fact, it was so significant at the time that it happened that we have extra biblical sources that say, hey, this happened so we have people like Josephus, who was a Jewish historian. This man was not a Christian. 
He did not place his faith in Jesus so far as we know. And yet in his histories, right, the, the things that he was writing, he said something incredible happened with that man. He rose from the dead. And I don't know how to explain it. We see that James, the brother of Jesus, he goes from saying that Jesus is uh, at worst a fraud and at best crazy Right? He rushed out with his mom and the rest of the family. They're trying to get Jesus in. They're like, he's lost his mind. Uh, he didn't believe him. He thought his brother was nuts. He goes from that to being one of the fathers of the church after the resurrection. That's incredible because James ends up dying as a martyr according to church history. Now, a lot of people will go along with a lie so long as it benefits them. But the apostles, the disciples, and many other early Christians, because of the resurrection, they were so convinced that this happened, that Jesus was who he said he was, that they would go to their graves for it. I don't think many people go to the grave, especially the way that they did, for a lie. How does that benefit them? The apostles, they all abandoned Jesus when he was arrested, but then, again, they're willing to be martyred after the resurrection. We know that the Romans, the Romans were experts in death. They didn't get this wrong. Even without flogging and beating and spears, the simple act of being nailed to a cross was often enough to kill someone. So again, this uh, Jewish historian Josephus, he has this story where he was kind of in with the Roman government and it was this little bit shady back uh, door deal to save his own skin. But anyways, he ended up kind of having some ties to the Roman government. He was going along the road one day and he saw a couple of men, I think, that he knew hanging on a cross. They were still alive. These men had, had not been beaten the way that Jesus had been beaten. They had not been stabbed with a spear the way that Jesus had been stabbed. They had not been treated at all nearly as badly as Jesus. They had just been nailed to the cross at this point. Josephus Josephus goes and he pulls some strings and he gets those guys down off the cross and the Romans offer them the best medical care available. And I believe that two out of three of them still died. The Romans didn't get this wrong. They knew how to execute someone. After the resurrection of Jesus, more than 500 people witnessed him alive. We see this in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through six, that there are a plethora of witnesses. He didn't just show up in some little room where a couple of people said, well, we saw Jesus, so it must be true. No, he announced to a crowd of people. He showed himself to people. And, and Paul even says in 1 Corinthians 15 that you can go, at the time he was writing, you can go and still find those people. And they'll tell you the same thing that I'm telling you, that Jesus is risen. The New Testament writers, the, the accounts of the resurrection, they ring of truth because they didn't paint themselves in a very good light. See, one of the tests of, uh, of old documents and uh, documents of antiquity is, uh, is it written like propaganda? Is it written so that the authors are made to look really, really good? Well, we know that Mark was technically written by Mark, but probably dictated by Peter. Well, it doesn't paint Peter in a really great light. We know that Paul and the other New Testament writers, they are, they are preaching in a way that allows their flaws and their shortcomings in this whole event to be center stage so that Jesus would be magnified. So we have a lot of reasons, and this is just a little snapshot. 
a lot of reasons to believe that this actually happened. If you wanted to go a little bit deeper, the the two books that I'd probably recommend are The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. That's a great introduction to the case for the crucifixion. Did, was he really crucified and did he really rise from the dead? And the other would be Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh and Sean McDowell. I would highly recommend that you look into both those books if you're the kind of person that wants the evidence. And I would encourage you to do that. So we see how the resurrection took place. We see that there's good reason to believe it took place in this way. So the power of the resurrection is not only for this life, but also for the next. So what we're seeing is that this isn't just a promise for something far off, but it's for us today. We see that the resurrection of Jesus, it displays his power over the forces of evil. The resurrection is something that was actually promised in a small way, maybe in a in a shadow of a way, all the way back in Genesis three, fifteen, it says, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And this is where we have to pay attention. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That's the first glimpse at a promise of a savior. That there's something that's coming that these two are going to be at war with each other until, until our savior stomps on the head of the serpent. And the serpent, all he can do is bruise the heel. You see, Satan at the crucifixion of Jesus thinks that he has won. And yet, when Jesus walks out of the grave, we know better than that. So, that's the seed of the gospel promise. The resurrection is the tree. That it has gone through redemptive history, this promise, and has grown and grown and grown until we get to where we are celebrating this morning. So, that's the resurrection from the gospel account in Matthew. Now, one thing that we want to do, this is a good rule of thumb, is to allow the New Testament writers, like the epistles, the letters that are being written, to interpret the gospel accounts. So, let's do that in 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 12 through 26. Paul writing, saying, Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And verse 14 is important. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ from that he raised Christ whom he did not raise. If it is true that the dead are not raised for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope, in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul is saying everything hinges on this. That if Christ didn't raise from the dead, then we're wasting our lives here. That Sunday morning gatherings are just a weird hobby that you should stop if Christ did not raise from the dead. Christians believe in a future where Christ 
returns, and he raises all from the dead. Those who have placed their faith in him, he raises them to to love and to accept them back into the kingdom with their new bodies. And those who have not placed their faith in Jesus will be raised to final judgment. And that's, that's the future that we believe in. We believe with a confident assurance that this will happen. If Christ did not raise from the dead, then he did not exhaust the wrath of God and satisfy the penalty of sins on our behalf. This has to have happened, is what Paul is saying. And remember, Paul believes that this has happened. So 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, he says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He has the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And that's what we're celebrating. That death is being conquered. Verses 20 and 22, they sound like incredibly good news that all will be made alive. The Christian looks forward to this day. This is unspeakable joy for the Christian that that one day, because of Christ's resurrection, we will also have the opportunity to rise with him. That is something that we can look forward to. That gives us a future hope. That is something that we can turn our eyes to in difficult times. Our freedom has been purchased. The person who died without placing their faith in Jesus, without answering the call to repentance and obedience, Again, they will also be raised on that day. But the question that I have to ask is, is that when that day comes, and I believe that day is coming, that that's just as much of a fact as the resurrection itself, that I imagine my soul being reunited with my body in this bodily resurrection, and, and maybe it's kind of like in the movies where you see someone waking up and the camera's kind of behind their eyelids and they start to blink a little bit and it's blurry and they're rubbing their eyes and there's something that you're being awoken to. And I know that when I open my eyes, Jesus is going to be standing there with, with arms open to receive me, that there will be something new that is happening in that moment, something of joy, something of hope and grace. I need you to think about what will you be opening your eyes to on that day? Is that the same thing that you'll see with Jesus with his arms wide open, ready to receive you, saying, well done, good and faithful servants, or will you open your eyes to this last day And see Jesus, I don't know, maybe with his arms crossed, maybe pointing away from himself saying, I never knew you. The resurrection is something to celebrate if we've placed our faith in the Jesus of the resurrection. So we'll come back to that in just a minute. The resurrection of Jesus, it displays his power over sin so we can now live in holiness as he did. In Philippians 3, 7 through 11, Paul says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For this sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. But verse 10 here, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. To just paint the picture for us a little bit here, Paul's writing from a jail cell, but he's talking about being filled with the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And it's not a power to necessarily have the most comfortable life or most luxurious life. Paul didn't have a luxurious life, but it's power to sustain us through whatever life brings to the glory of God. That's what Paul's reminding us of. So what does it mean to know the power of the resurrection? It means that the Christian life is marked, it's sustained and directed by that same powerful spirit that raised Christ from the dead. That spirit that if you've placed your faith in Jesus is now at work in you. And we can trust that because of the resurrection. That power should make you markedly different than the society that is operating without it. I don't know if you've ever met a hero of yours. Maybe you've met a celebrity or, or an author that you very much cared for. But when I was, when I was a kid, I was really into guys like Jeff, uh, Jeff Corwin, Steve Irwin, you know, the crocodile hunter, stuff like that. I was a big fan, right, when I was a kid. And uh, when I went to, I can't remember what we were at, we were at some theme park and there was this event happening and Jeff Corwin, who was this kind of animal guy, you know, think crocodile hunter kind of guy, he was there and I got to meet him as a kid. And I thought I was going to float off the ground. I was so excited to meet the guy that hangs out with monkeys and wrestles crocodiles and stuff like that. I was so excited. I could barely stand it. I need to bring this home for us that, that the Jesus that we read about in the scriptures is someone you can still know and meet today. Because of the resurrection, he is still alive. That he's not just a dead historical figure. That if you, if you really understand that he is the king, creator, sustainer of the universe, that he still lives today and that you can know him, how much better is that than meeting someone from the animal planet? That, that should get us excited. This is not just some B-list celebrity. He is the one that breathes life. He is the one that provides eternal life. He's the one that walked out of a grave, has unspeakable power to provide for us in this life. How is the resurrection power for the present and not just for the future, you are empowered to forgive the things that you thought you never could. You're empowered to no longer have a fear of man, to endure suffering for the sake of Christ's name, to love the unlovable people of the world, to live a life of faithfulness to your spouse, to give generously and sacrificially of your finances, to put grumbling to death, 
You're empowered to, to root out the sin that remains in your life, to pull it out by the roots. You are empowered to pursue the things of real importance. See, the resurrection doesn't just apply to the end of our lives and the eternity after that. It starts applying now for the Christian. The resurrection power that Paul had sitting in that jail cell that he was writing about That's the same spirit, the same power that you have when you are in Christ. Since that morning, the day-to-day lives of Christians have never been and should never be the same. The apostles lived fearlessly after the resurrection. Christians gave up comfortable lives to worship God in secret. Greed gave way to charity. And you, Christian, are indwelled by that same power that raised Christ from the grave. How has it changed you? How will it change you? What are you doing with it? What, who are you loving with it? What lost person are you telling about it? So the resurrection is relevant to every moment of every day. I said we would come back to this in a second. So I, as I asked earlier, what would you open your eyes to right now on that last day? When you are being resurrected, when your body is being raised from the earth and your soul is being reunited with it to stand before God, what are you opening your eyes to? The Christian really goes through two resurrections in their life. The first is when you go from a spiritual death to spiritual life. That's the moment that you're born again. That's a type of... Of resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus is the power necessary to bring sinners from death to life. Romans 6, 9 through 11 says, We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And then verse 11, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. What you open your eyes to on that last day when you are resurrected is determined by whether you experience that first spiritual resurrection from death to life. If you're not living in that power now, you will not experience that power in a pleasant way on the last day. So today we celebrate the authenticated claims of Jesus that he did raise from the dead. Today we celebrate that sin and death have been conquered and that they no longer have any power over us. So why would we willingly continue in sin? Why would we continue to serve something that cannot love us back, that will not love us back? There is a king, a good king, a just and righteous king, a loving and gracious king who died and rose again for you. Nathan, if you'll join me back up here. I want to celebrate with all of us today. This is a celebration. For Christians, we're going to celebrate. Right? We're going to celebrate. And my, my hope, my prayer is that everyone in this room can celebrate what we're supposed to be celebrating today. But when I open my eyes, I'm, I'm so excited to see my Savior standing there 
But I also want to see you guys there. I want to see my friends and my family there. I'm asking you, what are you opening your eyes to on that day? Jesus rose from the grave. We know that all of us are going to be raised at some point to stand before him. What will you open your eyes to on that day? If today is the day and, and you're thinking, I, I want that. If, you're, if you know that you came in here longing for that serious joy and you're looking for the kind of power to live a different kind of life, to untangle yourself from the sins that have so entrapped you, then I would love for this to be a second cause of celebration for us today. That not only are we celebrating the risen Christ, but we can celebrate you being risen out of the death of your sins. I said this in the sunrise service. I'm going to say it again. There's different people here. That there is no spiritual grave so deep. There's no sin so bad that it's so far away from Jesus that his nail-pierced hands cannot reach you at the bottom of that grave and pull you out of it. And that hand is extended out to you this morning. If that is something that, uh, that has happened in your heart while we've been here today, I would love for you to come down here. Let's celebrate not only our risen king, but our risen brothers and sisters out of that spiritual death. Let's pray. Father, you are an unspeakably good God that we could go on and on trying our best to describe you and your goodness and the perfections of who you are. And yet I increasingly feel the weight and inadequacy of my abilities and my words to do that task. So Father, I'm praying that your Holy Spirit fills in the gaps where I have fallen short. I pray for the miracle of sinners being brought from death to life today. I pray for obedient, faithful responses to the gospel call. And Father, we praise your name for the work and life and person of Jesus Christ, our risen Savior today. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ also all shall be made alive. Go in peace this morning.